Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Rejuvenation's Health Radio on blogtalkradio.com. The show is brought to you by LipoLite Naples and your hosts are Dr. Ron and Dr. Ron. We are your station for everything natural. We are your station for information about slimming, shaping, and toning. We not only want you to live longer, we want you to have more life in those years. So without further ado, let's get on with today's show. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Dr. Ron here, excuse me, on April 19th, 2016. Welcome, everybody. And again, I would like to open the program with a thank you for all of our listeners who made a, are making us the number one listen to internet health radio show here in South Florida. So thank you very much. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. Ron Sr. Dr. Ron uh, Jr. Uh, is working at the uh, Center Rejuvenations Healthcare, and he helps bring you this uh, program. Uh, from LipoLite Naples. LipoLite Naples is located at 1575 Pine Ridge Road, Suite Number 6 in Naples, Florida. The phone number is 239-331-5886. Dr. Ron Jr. has the only private nitrogen chamber in the area, always monitored individually one-on-one. A three-minute session could start you on your road to recovery from chronic pain or chronic fatigue syndrome or post-operative pain. You probably will need more than one treatment, but you should uh, go down and take an introductory uh, treatment uh, at the LipoLite Naples and Naples Cryo Spa Center, located at 1575 Pine Ridge Road, Suite Number 6 in Naples, Florida. You also might want to take a look at Dr. Ron's website at cryonaples.com. Really great center, helping a lot of people. A lot of sports teams are now coming to the office to have their aches and pains treated. Also, a lot of high-intensity exercisers who are getting ready for competition are using the center so they can recover more quickly and get on with their training. So that's a LipoLite Naples, uh, phone number 331-5886. Well, I just got uh, word that Dr. Smith cannot join us today, so uh, we will go on with the show. Uh, As scheduled, uh, I am recovering from dental surgery this morning, so a little bit numb uh, in my jaw and uh, lip and uh, tongue, but uh, we'll get through it. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, last week's show, we devoted uh, to statin drugs and uh, you know that uh, basically we talked about cholesterol what it is needed for how it is uh, used in our body how it is necessary for our health and that uh, the big pharmaceutical companies uh, took a word cholesterol for which most people was meant nothing now they uh, now when you hear you have a cholesterol problem you uh, associate it with uh, some kind of disease so a, a non-existent disease was created that disease is called hypercholesterolemia or high cholesterol 
it creates a lot of anxiety, I know, in, in people uh, who hear these words. Uh, you know, they kind of, they, I've heard people say, oh, my cholesterol is high. I'm really scared. Uh, people are worried if they have total cholesterol scores of 200 or 250. And these, pa- these patients, these people have to be reassured that these, this is perfectly okay. Uh, and we'll talk about some newer methods uh, that if your doctor isn't using them, you can educate him. If he, you're just getting the regular cholesterol, HDL, LDL panel, that uh, dinosaur age uh, blood testing, there is much more to be done. So it used to be if you showed up at the doctor's office with a perfect cholesterol and blood pressure numbers, you'd get a hearty pat on the back. And we'll bring we'll have a little audio tape of Dr. Kendrick. Uh, Dr. Malcolm Kendrick, and you won't believe that the normal cholesterol value and your normal blood pressure numbers, you just never believe what I'm going to say next. Actually, they're made up. You heard me. But if you go to your office, like I say, if you go to your doctor's office now, your healthcare provider, and you have great numbers and blood pressure and cholesterol, you don't get a pat on the back. You get a prescription for statins. And uh, we have been warning you here on Rejuvenations Health Radio uh, that it is a big pharmaceutical's job to make sure everyone in America is taking these medications. They're even trying to market them to uh, kids, and some of the nut jobs in the industry have even suggested putting them in water. So now we have a study in the New England Journal of Medicine, which is claiming that giving perfectly healthy adults statins could keep them from dying from heart attacks or strokes. And we'll give you the science on this in a bit. And the latest scheme to make a fortune, actually, by putting millions of more people on these dangerous medications, and it's based on deceptive, shoddy studies. So we need to take these studies with a dose of skepticism. The way the press and CNN covered it, you would have thought we'd landed on the moon again. And researchers have claimed that their latest study proved that by giving people with no heart disease, normal cholesterol, and good blood pressure reading daily doses of Crestor, they were able to reduce the risk of heart attacks and strokes by 24%. Even Dr. Gupta on CNN, as we indicated, uh, probably he never met a mainstream treatment he couldn't push. He claimed the research would make the case that statins should be used more broadly. Well, that, that just doesn't make any sense. Uh, that uh, is not really uh, what the study showed. First off, the research was funded by AstraZeneca. They are the makers of Crestor and one of the blood pressure medications that the study authors also experimented with. I mean, would you trust Pepsi-Cola telling you that cola cures cancer? I don't think so. And remember, that 24% reduction in heart attacks, strokes, and heart deaths that everybody's bragging about, well, uh, you know, they have hired Enron's accountant and the entire PR firm of Enron to come up with that. You see, 3.7% of people who choked down statins and blood pressure medications experienced heart problems or strokes or heart-related deaths during the study, 
compared to 4.8% of people who did nothing. So do you think that's a big deal? Because you have a 95% chance of nothing happening if you didn't do anything. Compared to a 96% chance of having a stroke if, if, if you took this medication every day for years. So for that extra percentage point of protection, these researchers exposed thousands of perfectly healthy patients to the muscle problems, increased risk of diabetes, and dementia, and other health hazards that we talked about last week. And remember, patients taking statins are more likely to develop cataracts. And that's a known side effect of this drug, ladies and gentlemen. So are we going to threaten people's vision? I don't think so. Make no mistake about it. This study was all about protecting the drug company's bottom lines, not your health. They were trying to convince thousands of doctors to hand out statins, whether you need them or not. And because physicians and doctors today can prescribe drugs, we quote unquote off label, that means for anything they want. There's nothing other than common sense stopping them from this this from happening. This new plan to sell even more of these drugs is being presented at the American College of Cardiology meeting, uh, meaning that even if your doctor didn't read about it before, he'll certainly be hearing about it this week. No matter how innocent they try to make these drugs out to be, the bottom line is that they are highly risky medications with plenty of serious side effects. So if it ain't broke, ladies and gentlemen, don't fix it. And um, we'll start this next segment of the program by talking about uh, Dr. Malcolm Kendrick, that's K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K, He wrote a book called Doctoring Data, How to Sort Out Medical Advice from Medical Nonsense. Uh, This fabulous book teaches you how to identify common research flaws and help you sift through misleading and meaningless data. And it's an important resource if you are a student of health. Here's just part of a... uh, interview of Dr. Malcolm Kendrick. One of the things that I'm very interested in, and uh, it's a kind of theme of mine, is, is how are medical data presented to uh, the public, and even the concept of how are, because most people think data should be pronounced is, but actually data are plural, but it always sounds weird saying are, however. Uh, but it's a very, uh, the world of, of presentation of data is, is, is extremely misleading. So, for instance, in my particular pet topic, we talk about statins, for instance. And then we always hear that, I think the the one that comes to mind is the heart protection study, where they said if 10 million people took this statin, 50,000 lives a year would be saved. And I just go, at that moment, you go, hold on. You can't save a life. I know this sounds rather depressing to say, but you can't save a life. Unless you're going to make people immortal, at some point people are going to die. So the only interesting thing from a medical point of view is, well, there's, there are other, many interesting things, but perhaps the most interesting thing is, for how much longer would you live? Now, what's fascinating is that in cancer studies, um, they talk about increasing median 
survival. And again, of course, no one knows what median means, but and it's kind of irrelevant. But it, we'll talk. We'll use the word average instead of median. So if you took this anti-cancer treatment for um, a year, on average, how much longer could you expect to live? Now, let's say it's six months. Now, you may think that's good, or you may think it's bad, or you may not have any particular view on it. But at least in cancer studies, they tell you, if you take this for a year or two years or whatever, however long it is, you'll live an extra three months, six months, 12 months on average. Now, of course, not everyone's going to be average. Some people will get no benefits. Some people mm -hmm. might actually, the cancer goes and never comes back again. Because you can't carry the trial on forever, so you'll never really know how long it will take. I mean, you, you can if, if, it, if it's rapidly uh, fatal, then you say, oh, everyone was dead after two years. So you can say, well, we know exactly how much you get an increase. But interestingly, when you talk about about heart disease or anything to do with cardiovascular medicine, they never present that data. They never say, how much longer do you think you'd live? So I often ask the question to people, using the most positive studies, and the two most positive studies are the heart protection study and 4S, which is Scandinavian something study. Um, and those studies lasted for five years. Both of them lasted for five years. And both of them came out with a result saying something like um, a 35 or 40% uh, reduction in cardiovascular mortality. Now, that sounds quite impressive. Well, it's almost a half. Oh, my God, I've taken this. It's protecting me. It's saving my life. That's what most people think. When I speak to people, most doctors think this. So I ask them another question. I say, right, if you took the statin for five years, all right, you took it for five years, using the data from those studies, how much longer, on average, do you think you would live? And I ask doctors this, and they go, five years, four years, three years. I mean, they're talking years. And I ask patients this, and this, sometimes in the surgery when we're chatting about things, and I ask just people down the pub. It's all very boring. But, um, and they all come out with years, or 10 years, or 15 years, or whatever they come out with. It's, it's fascinating. Because when I tell them that, actually, I have worked with the um, Medical Research Council, and someone who is a specialist in survival data, and um, when you plot it out, what you find is that if you took a statin for five years using the data from these studies, the most positive studies that there are, the average increase in survival time is two weeks. So on one hand, you present the data saying 35 to 40% reduction in mortality rate. That sounds hugely impressive. Present it in another way. You might live two weeks long. On average, you might not get any benefit at all. That's most likely you will get no benefit at all because the benefit is only for a very small percentage of people. Even for those very small percentage of people that do get a benefit, the increase in life expectancy for them is around about four months. All right, so it's those few people's four months that actually create an average of 14 days. So what you can represent it and say, is actually, according to this, these data, you take a statin for, for five years, all right, and there there is a... 2% chance that you might gain some benefit. So 49 out of 50 people will get no benefit at all, none, zero. The 2% that do get a benefit will live on average for about four months longer. So if you take the 49 and add them to the, the 49 uh, people who get no benefit and add the one person who gets the benefit together, you get to that 14 days effectively. So it's a minute benefit. You don't even know if you're going to get it. So, you know, they present the data to sound as positive as possible, split it down, take it out, look at it again, what does it mean? And I think in many ways this, this 
the manipulation of the way the data is presented is one of the greatest problems that I can see. I just wish all data could be presented in the same way. How much longer? How? What improvement or, 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 or damage to your quality of life during that period of time? Because that's usually important. Because say for those 14 days, I mean, you, over five years, you'd spend 14 days going to the pharmacy, picking it up, taking the tablets, going to your doctor. In fact, taking that out of your life, it'll probably take a month to do all that over five years and you get 14 days. You know, what's the equation? So, so I really wish that people would present data in the same way from all the studies so it's absolutely comparable. So, ladies and gentlemen, there's Dr. Malcolm Kendrick uh, you know, t- telling us basically that uh, the drugs don't work uh, for a slight benefit of maybe 14 days extra lifespan to be taking this medication for over five years with all the known side effects of dementia, cataracts, etc. that we've been talking about. And Dr. Brownstein takes another crack at this and because this study was called HOPE-3. 3.7% of those that took a statin drug over 5.6 years had a heart attack, stroke, or suffered heart-related death compared to 4.8% who took a placebo. So 3.7% took statin drugs, 4.8% took nothing. The CNN, uh, Dr. Gupta, stated that 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 showed there was a 24% reduction in statin, the statin-treated group. That's 3.7% versus 4.8%. However, ladies and gentlemen, the reported 24% reduction is a relative risk reduction. The relative risk ratios are always used by the big pharmaceutical companies to make poorly performed Forming drugs look better than they actually are. In fact, the relative risk concept is meaningless in a clinical study. It provides no useful information for the clinician to decide whether a particular therapy is useful or not. Just as Dr. Kendrick was saying, you know, what is the average lifespan after uh, you take this drug for five or six years? Is it four years? Is it five years? Is, but it turns out when you uh, when you do the math, it was 14 days. The absolute risk difference is more meaningful to interpret data clinically. What is the absolute risk difference in HOPE 3 trial? It is 1.5. One percent. That may that is the difference between four point eight and three point seven. That means, according to Hope Three, ninety-one subjects would have to take a statin medication for almost six years to prevent one cardiovascular event. In other words, using absolute risk, the drug Crestor failed not nearly ninety-nine who took it, they received absolutely no cardiovascular benefit. And that's what most of the physicians who are not paid by the drug companies have been saying for a long time. These drugs fail 96 to 99% of the times. So is that, do you want to take a, a statin drug? That, are you going to take any drug that has a failure rate? of over 90% of the time. Now, this next little segment might be a little bit 
discombobulated, as they say. Now, I want to just summarize some of the things uh, from Dr. Dr. Kendrick's book. And also, just tell you, also, he wrote another book called The Great Cholesterol Con, The Truth About What Really Causes Heart Attacks and How to Avoid It. And we talked about that last week with Dr. Smith. It's really chronic inflammation unless you have that recessive gene. So uh, let's just summarize a few things from this book. One thing is that uh, correlation does not prove causation. In other words, people will look at a uh, group uh, uh, that they want to study, and they're going to study what they eat and, and do over many years. Then they say, oh, look, they drink red wine and they do not get heart disease. So what's the conclusion? Quote, red wine protects you against heart disease. Unquote. Kendrick says, no, it could mean that. But what it probably means is that people who drink red wine may be better off. They They may be more educated. Maybe they exercise. Maybe they eat vegetables as well. Maybe they don't smoke. Or maybe they do a hundred of other things, even though it's some if it's something hardly correlated does not mean it's causative. And on the other side of the coin, lack of association disproves causation. So Dr. Kendrick says we have studies that show there's a huge group in Austria of 150,000 people. That study showed that the higher your cholesterol level was, the longer you lived. And the lower your cholesterol level was, the shorter you lived. These findings never saw the light of day. They are published, but they are, they are silenced. And he give, goes on to give many, many uh, more, more examples. And he goes on to talk about uh, uh, an article he wrote for The Independent, uh, talking about fabrications in medicine, it, he says, quote, if you are a man, it has virtually become gospel that drinking 21 units of alcohol a week is damaging your health. But where did, that, where did the evidence to support this well-known fact come from? He says the answer may surprise you. According to Richard Smith, a former editor of the British Medical Journal, the level for safe drinking was, quote, plucked out of the air, unquote. He was on a Royal College physician's team that helped produce guidelines in 1987, he told the uh, newspaper that the committee's epidemiologists had conceded that there was no data about the safe limits available and that it's impossible to say what's safe and what isn't. Smith said that the drinking limits were not based on any firm evidence at all but were an intelligent guess. In time, the intelligent guess it became an undisputed fact. Dr. Kendrick says the model for blood pressure, which states that the higher your blood pressure is in a linear fashion, the greater your risk of dying. Guess what? Made up. Cholesterol levels, made up. Healthy versus unhealthy obesity levels. Believe it or not, They were not based on real data. The recommendations to eat five portions of fruit and vegetables is equally made up. 
people believe it must be based on solid evidence and therefore true. One of the most impressive comments Dr. Kendrick made is don't believe it. They just made it up. And we talked a lot about absolute risk and relative risk. He goes on and on about that. And we just uh, saw how that works. Uh, so, I mean, dermatologists have been, you know, telling us to get out of the sun, but you know, they're, there's studies where women who have a higher sun exposure are 50% less likely to get breast cancer than men are 75% less likely to get colorectal cancer if they're out in the sun. So he, he says it's, quote, unquote, a crock. He says sun exposure protects against heart disease and improves bone health. And he goes on and on and on and on. But what basically the tenant is is that the studies can be manipulated. Um, so, so what do you have to do, ladies and gentlemen? As we stated in the beginning of this year, you have to take control of your own health. You have to listen to shows like Rejuvenation Health Radio. Do some research. Uh, if you have a cholesterol problem and you're worried about statins, look up Dr. Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N Sinatra, a medical doctor and a cardiologist who's written extensively on cholesterol. And uh, before we leave cholesterol, I want to tell you about uh, a test called D, as in Victor, AP, vertical auto profile. The test breaks cholesterol down into fractions, appearances, and patterns, giving much more accurate pictures of what may or may not be a problem. As I said in the beginning of the program, the standard lipid test that most doctors order for you really belong to the age of dinosaurs. A second test has emerged that appears maybe to be a notch better, and that's the lipoprotein particle profile, LPP test. Uh, they, as far as I know, they're all covered by your insurance, insurances, and uh, if your doctor doesn't know about it, it, maybe you can bring it to his attention. Because these analyses will help doctors and yourself make sense out of your out of this cholesterol confusion. They break down the major cholesterol components and take you light years beyond generalizations like your LDL cholesterol is bad cholesterol or your HDL cholesterol is good cholesterol. The reality is much more complex, ladies and gentlemen. It's not just about how high the LDL is, but what kind is it and how much of it do you have? The same with HDL. Keep in mind that the liver, where a good chunk of your cholesterol is produced, dispatches cholesterol throughout the circulatory system in the form of protein-wrapped fatty bundles called LDL. As LDL travels through the system, the cholesterol, right, that we've been talking about, is accessed by the cells as the cells need them. Similarly, spent and oxidized cholesterol is picked up by the HDL particles for return to the liver and subsequent excretion, the beautiful body. So I'm not going to go into this, the 
particular particles, but LDL particles can be large or small. It's the small, dense LDL particles that can readily enter into compromised arterial walls and stoke the inflammatory process. And hear what I hear what I just said? Stoke the inflammatory process. It's the inflammation that comes first and then the cholesterol plaque. So what are some and, and similarly with about HDL, there's there's some subgroups that are good and bad, even in the good cholesterol, but that can be brought out in, in these tests. So what about your total cholesterol? Well, it doesn't mean much, according to Dr. Sinatra, unless you have a level over 320 or so, which increases the risk of stroke. And then it certainly behooves you to bring it down. And you can do that with lifestyle modification, weight reduction, and eating a lot of good fiber. Even at that level, Dr. Sinatra would not recommend a statin drug unless you have evidence of arterial disease and were a male. Uh, He says he has been very uh, disappointed by the lack of results in women. And what about your total LDL, that so-called bad cholesterol uh, in the standard test? So if you have it high, uh, you probably should have the advanced testing done. Uh, Dr. Sinatra was said even if it's high, he would, he would be extremely reluctant to bring it down uh, below 80. It's dangerous in his opinion. Too low cholesterol has been associated with cancer, aggression, cerebral hemorrhages, and amnesia, and could affect your ability to combat infections. All right, did you get that? So here's what you have to remember. If your standard cholesterol numbers are high and your doctor tells you take a statin, A, don't do it. Ask your doctor to follow up with a VAP or LPP test to determine your individual cholesterol fractions. If you're a man, a male, between the ages of 50 and 75 and have coronary artery disease, And the advanced testing shows you have a predominance of small, dense LDL. Go for the statin. That's probably a good idea. Statin drugs are also anti-inflammatory. And that's the effect you're looking for, not the cholesterol-lowering activity. And Dr. Sinatra would not recommend statins if you're over age 75. If you are a female, a woman, and do not have unhealthy levels of inflammatory type cholesterol and inflammatory substances such as homocysteine, fibrinogen, and C-reactive protein, and what other physician or what other show have you listened to that have talked about fibrinogen, ladies and gentlemen? Well, if you don't have those, those inflammatory proteins, you should pass on statins. Dr. Sinatra's advice. However, if you are a woman with arterial disease and have a profile of high inflammatory cholesterol and other substances, a statin may provide you a benefit as far as lowering your cholesterol, but as an anti-inflammatory agent. 
He says, male or female, do not take a statin on the basis of high LPA. Statins do not lower, lower LPA. LPA is lipoprotein A, ladies and gentlemen. Your best bet to neutralize the inflammatory activity of LPA is a B-complex vitamin like not, that has niacin, 500 milligrams to 2 grams daily, or the type that causes a flushing sensation of 2 to 3 grams of fish oil and 100 milligrams of natokinase. He really likes that, that cocktail. So here you have almost a, you have two shows on uh, cholesterol. Uh, there's some shoddy research that is being put in front of your family doctors who do not have time uh, to uh, go through the numbers and uh, read Dr. Kendrick. By the way, Dr. Kendrick can also be found on YouTube. I would recommend that. And a timeout for Dr. Ron. This is Dr. Ron Repesey of Rejuvenation's Cool Cryo Spa, your place to chill at 239-658-COOL. If you've not heard of whole body cryotherapy and suffer with back pain, joint pain, arthritis, fibromyalgia, or you're an athlete that wants quick recovery from sports injuries, then come chill with us at Rejuvenation's Cool Cryo Sauna. Cryospa treatments take only three minutes and are supervised by physicians. Sessions are one-on-one in a private environment. Each treatment can also burn five to 800 calories. As seen on Dr. Oz, Cool Cryospa is truly amazing technology. Let's hear what Dr. Kurt Biggs, a well-respected orthopedic surgeon in Naples, has to say about Cool Cryotherapy. Hi, I'm Dr. Biggs of the Joint Replacement Institute. Since I started applying the Cool Cryosauna, my patients are healing much quicker and athletes are seeing quick recovery. I recommend this procedure for my surgical patients and athletes. Call Dr. Repesey now to schedule your Cool Cryo trial session, 239-658-COOL, 239-658-2665, located at 1575 Pine Ridge Road in the Noodles Italian Bistro Plaza. Rejuvenation's Cool Cryo Spa. Come chill with us. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. An excellent modality. Uh, Dr. Ron is a chiropractor and a neurological chiropractor, board certified. Uh, He has programs for neuropathy, uh, hair removal, just a general rejuvenation center. Uh, If you're in the area and you want to lose some uh, inches, you want to fit back in those skinny jeans, uh, stop in and see Dr. Ron. Uh, he'll help you uh, get the jelly off your belly. Speaking about that, you know, everybody's talking about high-intensity exercise, and, and that's, that's, that's nothing wrong with it if you can do it. But imagine an exercise program that's simple, that won't leave you drenched in sweat and could cut your risk of dying by one-third. How about that? Would you be interested? You can do it in less time than it takes to make a cup of coffee. There was a new study out that proves that walking around for just two minutes an hour can help offset the damaging health effects of sitting, something we've been hearing uh, uh, about for some time. Now, remember I told you in the beginning of the year, buy a little old hour clock, and every time it goes down, get your meat off the seat and walk around. Well, here's a study proving that this is good. Staying in one place, whether you're working or just being a couch potato, increases your risk of diabetes and heart disease. It can even cut your life short. Well, we've talked about that. But the good news is here. Researchers from the University of Utah School of Medicine tracked 3,200 volunteers for three years and found that those who engage in two minutes of light-intensity activity each hour 
lowered their risk of dying by a third, by 33%. And what did they mean by light intensity activity? They were talking about taking out the trash or fetching the mail or anything to get your moving, anything to get your meat off the seat. It was fascinating to see the results because the current national focus is on moderate and vigorous activity, said the lead author of the study. He's right about that. You can't turn on the television these days without seeing some infomercial for a high-intensity exercise program that looks like it was designed for the Navy SEALs. But ladies and gentlemen, good news. This new study, the authors say, proves that even small changes in your routine can have big, a big impact on your health. And making these small changes, even if it's just moving around for two minutes an hour, could be the first step to a more active lifestyle that will benefit your health, benefit your brain, benefit your muscles and bones. So after this show today, which is one hour, why not get up from your computer or your chair and do something great for your health, like take a two-minute stroll around the house. 3,200 volunteers for three years were followed to come up with these numbers. So it's a good study, lots of good people. I'm sure Dr. Kendrick's uh, uh, algorithm would work out good uh, to show that this 33% is a valid number. Well, a few things I want to finish up with today. We finished with cholesterol, and you, you know the statins fail 97% of the time. We sort of proved that. If you have a problem with that, uh, send me an email to docronradio, D-O-C-R-O-N-R-A-D-I-O, at gmail.com, and we'll discuss it. Uh, I wanted to, bring, to uh, talk to you about iodine. Because we have, we didn't, you know, we talked about thyroid a couple weeks ago, and we talked about its treatment. Dr. Smith was really great about the thyroid, and you know that I would have been a follower of Dr. Broda Barnes for quite a while. You know, and we talked about how critical iodine is to the primary thyroid hormone, right? That was called thyroxin, and how how iodine deficiency can can affect you. But what I didn't tell you were the top. 10 iodine-rich foods. Here we go. Number one, dried seaweed. Number two, codfish. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, three ounces of codfish has 99 micrograms of iodine. Pretty good. Yogurt, 87 micrograms per cup. Turkey breast, three ounces of turkey breast has 34 micrograms. Navy beans, half a cup, 32 micrograms. Tuna, three ounces have 17 micrograms. I have this in here because it is iodine rich, but you also have to remember that tuna is also uh, high in mercury, which isn't so good for your health. Eggs, a large egg has 12 micrograms of iodine. A baked potato has 60 micrograms. A cup of strawberries, 13 micrograms. And cranberries, one ounce of cranberries, which are... When I lived in the Northeast, though, that used to go to a farm and get them fresh, 90 micrograms of iodine. So it's pretty good, uh, pretty good list of 10 things, and uh, most of us have probably tasted it. And your thyroid can't uh, function without iodine. And you know that the Japanese, uh, they eat between 6 and 12 micrograms a day. So yeah, you can get some uh, 
that's milligrams, I'm sorry. So you can get some of that in your diet uh, and your supplement. All right, let's uh, see what else I have for you. Uh, how about air fresheners? Anybody use them? You like that invigorating smell of lemon or citrus scented? Huh? Nice way to clean the air in your home. <laughs> what if I told you or said that can is embalming fluid? How appealing would that be? Well, you, you, if you're using air, certain air freshers, you might as well say that. According to the results of a recent study, formaldehyde, the stuff of embalming fluid and known to cause cancer, is typically formed when a chemical commonly used in citrus-scented air fresheners and candles, that chemical is called lemonine. Limonene, L-I-M-O-N-E-N-E. When that chemical is released in your home, but formaldehyde is just one of the chemicals that we unknowingly fill our air with. Take all those wonderfully fragrant, fragrant chemicals. Boy, I had a hard time with that one. Well, that's that's the novocaine of my jaw, ladies and gentlemen. Wonderfully fragrant candles. For example, why? You can make your own home smell like fields of lavender, fresh laundry rose petals. Well, and just like the citrus lemonine sprays, these scents uh, in a can come along with plenty of nasty chemicals. The EPA warns that candles can release benzene, lead, and other pollutants that can cause health problems from breathing difficulties to cancer. And one of the big reasons it's so easy to contaminate inside air is why? Because most of our homes these days have been designed for an improved, super energy efficient style. And the less cracks that the air, that air can come in means that that air just stays inside. There's nothing that can escape. So while you may be paying less for your utility bill, you could be paying uh, an efficiency health bill. So how do you reduce indoor pollution? Well, I've looked it up, and there's some easy easy recommendations. And, yeah, we all forget about natural houseplants. They not only look good, but they take in pollutants through their leaves and roots, and recommended varieties for indoor are bamboo, palm, spider plant, Boston fern. They say the Boston fern is especially good at removing formaldehyde from the air. But, you know, if you have pets and cats, you better check with your vet. Buy environmentally friendly or green home improvements and cleaning products. A lot of the commercial products have volatile organics that can cause cancer. If you're going to be painting, look for low VOC. VOC means volatile organic chemicals. So look for low VOC paints. And most of them, uh, most manufacturers uh, make these uh, available. And stop with the air freshener and the burning candles. If you want to freshen things up inside your home, do it the old-fashioned way. If it's possible, ladies and gentlemen, open a window, open a door. Uh, because uh, you're not doing yourself any favor uh, with these air fresheners. So let's uh, tackle two other subjects, and we'll call it a day since my jaw is still uh, quite uh, uh, numb here. I want to just talk to you a little bit about pork. Uh, 
it's been investigated for quite some time now. Uh, but last week, the FDA released some things that I should bring to your attention. The agency issued a press release telling the world about the drug Carbadox, C-A-R-B-A-D-O-X, Carbadox, and how it's used in pork production and how they there may be residues in meat and the fact that the drug can cause cancer. That's right. You heard me. You might be getting a bite of uh, this carcinogenic animal antibiotic in your bacon or a pulled pork sandwich. Well, while the FDA says it's taking steps to have this medication banned, it looks like it's going to be a long time away, if ever. So before you have one more bite of that ham sandwich, that hot dog, or that sausage, or as we say in Italian, sausage, or, uh, here's what you need to know about the dark side of the other side of white meat. Unless you raise pigs for a living or are in the animal drug industry, chances are pretty good you've never heard about Carbidox. It's an antibiotic approved for pigs that's been in use for a long time. Uh, research shows over 40 years. But Carbidox was found to cause both cancer and birth defects, which is why other countries have taken steps to keep it out of their food supply. Places like Canada and Australia and the entire EU, the European Union. That's right. If you bring home the bacon anywhere in Canada, you will not be eating residues of this drug. But the FDA has uh, been on a long lunch break with with this uh, for at least 10 years. And American pork producers who use this medication are happy as pig in a puddle. You see, two years ago, the International Committee that Develops Food Safety Standards, called Codex, C-O-D-E-X, Alimentarius, said that there was no safe level of carbidox that could be considered an acceptable risk to consumers. In other words, levels of this antibiotic, these experts say, the levels you want in your ham sandwich is zero, ladies and gentlemen. You don't want any of this stuff in saying that it's taking steps to ban the drug. Something the Canadian officials, they figured out a long time ago. But in reality, there are nothing more than baby steps because the manufacturer of Carbidox, Philbro Animal Health out of New Jersey, is going to fight this ban until the pigs come home. The company wasted no time issuing its own press release saying how safe the drug is and how disappointed it is that the FDA would do such a thing, especially since it got some New studies up its sleeve that they say will be out in three months. You really, seriously, they've had decades to prove the safety of this thing, and now the FDA has, quote, disappointed them. Hello. If you think this antibiotic is just used to treat sick animals, well, it's not. Furbro tells a tear-jerking story about how Carbidox helps poor little piggies with salmonella and swine dysentery. But even the FDA will tell you that is also used and approved for what's called production. That means carbidox is added to the feed to fatten up the pigs faster, and we'll probably never find out how much of this drug is in our food, as there are no rules that require farmers to disclose what medication they give their animals. So for now, the only way to keep this risky drug out of your breakfast, lunch, and dinner is to what, ladies and gentlemen, buy organic pork. And be especially sure to avoid any non-organic foods that may contain pork liver. 
such as liverwurst, hot dogs, and sausages. Why? Because they are the areas where this, this drug in the pig uh, builds up to get ready for excretion and metabol- metabolization. All right. Boy, I hope I'm not ruining your day, ladies and gentlemen. But, this, this, you know, where, where are you going to get this information if I don't bring it to you? And I'm going to bring you one last article. Uh, you, you know how I feel about acetaminophen, the number one cause of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in the United States, the number one reason why people need uh, uh, liver transplants. Well, it turns out, ladies and gentlemen, that Tylenol, acetaminophen, is not just toxic for our livers. It could be doing a number on our brains. I told you about the acetaminophen. Uh, the active ingredient in Tylenol, lots of over-the-counter remedies and uh, even prescription products. Uh, but it, it claims to cure everything, right? Even though study after study shows that it's pr- probably practically, not probably, practically worthless for back pain and even arthritis. And now Canadian scientists have discovered a new frightening risk from acetaminophen. Taking the drug can dull your brain so much that you won't be able to think clearly or tell when you put yourself in a dangerous situation. Think about that. If it can dull your senses, taking the drug can dull your brain so much that you won't be able to think clearly or tell when you put yourself in a dangerous situation. It's easy to overdose and damage your liver to the point of no return. Acetaminophen sends nearly 80,000 people a year to the hospital. And as I said, it's the leading cause of liver failure in America. Researchers from the University of Toronto and the University of British Columbia wanted to to see if acetaminophen is just as bad for your brain as it is for your liver. And in in, in a nutshell, it is. These researchers found that acetaminophen appears to inhibit the part of our brain that responds when we make errors. You know, whoops, oops, that moment when we all have, when we're about to run a red light or cross the street when the don't walk sign is blaring at us. Well, when you're on acetaminophen, your brain may not get that signal at all. And if it does, it could be too late. The wave or spike that can be seen on brain scans when we realize we royally screwed up is known as, quote, error-related positivity. In other words, PE. The Canadian researchers tested 60 participants, either giving them a placebo, which is a sugar pill, or one dose of extra strength Tylenol, 1,000 milligrams. Then they played a game where they were supposed to spot easy errors on a computer screen. It turns out the ones who had taken the dose of acetaminophen or Tylenol showed significantly less brain activity and often couldn't spot mistakes. That means taking the drug makes it harder to recognize an error, said the lead researcher Dan Randalls. You know, like when you think your car is in drive, but you actually put it in reverse, On the surface, that may sound a bit silly, right? But the brain's ability to recognize day-to-day mistakes plays a very important role in how we, we do seemingly insignificant little things all the time. We are constantly multitasking without being aware of it, doing things like walking, talking, crossing the street. 
without thinking thinking twice, right? It happened most of the time automatically. But our brain's ability to generate this brain activity and identify mistakes, including potentially serious ones, is important to our safety. And that's where acetaminophen appears to slow the brain's response that allows that to happen. That means what? Your thinking could become about as clear as mud, as Randall's puts it. You're more vulnerable to serious mistakes. But let's face it, with all the known risks out there, we know by now that taking anything containing acetaminophen is a big mistake to begin with. And unfortunately, it's one that thousands never realized they had made until it's too late. So we'll talk more about this next week. Uh, But for now, ladies and gentlemen, I really enjoy this program. We put a lot of work into it. If you have any comments, docronradio at gmail.com. Dr. Smith uh, will join us next week. He had uh, some teaching to do. Uh, You know, he teaches a lot on natural healing and uh, out of the box. And we all have to learn how to think out of the box, uh, take care of our own health, Try and always have a a good attitude because, as I tell you every week, a bad attitude is like a flat tire. You can't go anywhere until you change it, and we always have to have an attitude of gratitude. Keeps our days going stronger. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, You have made us a really popular Internet radio program. Uh, Who knows? Maybe someday we'll be on, uh, on an FM channel or an AM channel. But we really enjoy bringing you this. We put a lot of work into it. And uh, hope you enjoy it. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, until next week, until another interesting topic, maybe sometimes you get depressed when we uh, tell you some of these uh, uh, items, but, you know, uh, information is power. Change the things you can change. Uh, if you can't, well, you know, go along with it. Don't stress over it. But if you have an opportunity to, to change something, it uh, probably would be a good idea. Have a great week. Looking forward to a friend of mine coming over, playing some golf, and we will talk later. Dr. Ron and Dr. Ron have left the building. Thank you for listening to Rejuvenation Health Radio here on blogtalkradio.com See you next week. Ciao.